Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and we're talking about beer and food with Lorella Amato, the celebrated beer instructor and educator who has a new course available about creating memorable pairings. But first up, this episode is brought to you by the World Beer Awards. I'm honored to serve as a co-chair of judges for the U.S. portion this year, and we're bringing experienced, fair-minded, and engaged judges to Washington, D.C. later on this summer to blind taste test beers and to hand out medals. The World Beer Awards ensures that each beer is judged both rigorously and fairly to give its best chance in the competition. If you're a professional brewer, learn more about the competition and categories and sign up to enter at worldbeerawards.com. Early bird discount rates are available through April 1st, 2022. Again, check out worldbeerawards.com to learn more and to sign up. Also, a reminder to visit beeredge.com where you can sign up for the newsletter, catch up with the Beer Edge podcast, and check out the merch page, which is filled with This Week in Rauk Beer gear, as well as Defend Pilsner mugs. It's great fun to have Morella Amato on the show this week. I've had the good pleasure of knowing her for years, and I've enjoyed her writings and keen insight into the proper way to pair beer and food. Amato is a master Cicerone, as well as a Domin's Beer Sommelier. She is the author of Beerology, Everything You Need to Know to Enjoy Beer Even More, which is available where books are sold. And recently, the Sensory and Craft Beer Consultant launched a new online course through her website, beerology.ca. It's called Mastering Beer and Food Pairing. And we're going to talk about that, along with opera, current trends and tastes, and finding the right beer to match a mood. She spoke to me from Toronto. Here's our conversation. Do you have a memory of early on being a beer drinker and having a beer and food experience that unlocked this creativity, that unlocked this passion that led you to where you are today? Hmm. So the way I got into beer, I think, is a bit unusual for someone uh, of my time uh, in North America. And I have to share that in order to provide a little context for my answer. But the way that I was introduced to beer was through craft beer. So my, my early experiences with beer were that beer has many different flavors and colors and just naturally i would order different beers when i was at least certainly when i was eating than when i was not eating uh i can't you know distinctly remember uh, all those years ago you know how specific i was with my my beer and food pairing but i you know i do remember in those early days, being so confused that other people were just drinking the same beer by the pitcher all night and that, you know, they weren't thinking at all about what mood they were in or what they were eating. So I feel like on, you know, even though it was probably not like, a, it probably wasn't, it likely wasn't a honed skill back in the day, I definitely have, I think it would be fair to say I have always paid attention to you know, what I was eating, what my mood was, et cetera, et cetera, when choosing my beer. So 
So for that reason, I can't really say there was an aha moment. It was rather the opposite, looking around and thinking, well, what's, why are these people always drinking the same beer all the time? And it's actually that realization and that impetus to, sh- to share this, this idea that there's a beer for every food, every mood, and every occasion. That's really what got me into beer in the first place. And in those early days, I didn't know I was going to make a career out of it. I thought I was, you know, maybe going to find some way to express that passion. But um, that that really was was my journey. I, w- I think it would be fair to say that, you know, I've I've always had some instinct in that direction, and then obviously over the years, I've I've honed my abilities. I'd like to ask you about mood because that's one of those. It's it's a word that I don't hear often enough when it comes to speaking about beer choice. You know, I know we think of comfort food, and we think of um, you know people will say for for a meal all the time. You know, well, what are you in the mood for? And uh, we we think about our food very consciously that way. But um, I don't know if that conversation comes up enough with beer, and. Or I mean, maybe just not in my circles. But how do you approach that? How do you try to zero in on what the mood calls for, beer-wise? I think for myself, it's something that I observed, right? So it's not a you know a conscious thing. It's not a conscious set of thoughts like oh. I am feeling this way, what beer might match my current mood? It's more, you know, I can, (laughs) it's more a situation of opening the fridge and nothing that's in there is going to work in the current moment. And that's because, you know, I'm upset and I need something roasty or because I've had like a, I'm really excited and I I need something that's just bursting with bright, hot flavors. Uh, So, so, so I think it, it's something that I maybe talk about more because it's something that I observed in in my relationship with beer. Yeah. Uh, from there, though, I have, you know, certainly thought about it more. And uh, in my book, I t- I touch on it. My, uh, I'll just say my little plug, my award winning oh, yeah, book. Beerology, <laughs> everything you need to know to enjoy beer even more. Anyway, in the book, with my styles, uh, I do provide a food food pairing recommendation for for each, and I also provide like a just a playful example of a mood because it's something that I've definitely or an an occasion rather than a mood, and because it's something that I've thought a lot about, and so. I have applied it in various contexts. I applied it in my book. I also did. Uh, I ran an event for a number of years called uh, Hopera, which was pairing beer with opera. So I had um, some some singers come into a bar and they sang live operatic excerpts, the uh, arias or duets or or ensemble numbers, and with each I paired a beer, and that was very much mood based. So. You know, I would say, generally speaking, and for, so so based on that experience doing those doing those pairings, I've I've had time to examine a little bit more the the process. And for me, certainly, like a more mellow 
mood calls for calls for hops and calls for like you know it's it's you know the more specifically sorry did i say hops yes i did i meant malt okay um slip of the tongue uh for the you know the sweeter caramel notes or even toasted notes and sometimes getting into the chocolate and, and coffee these are all to me very sort of soothing mellow flavors whereas the the flavors of hops or the, the bright acidity of a sour beer that's more of a of an upbeat uh of an you know it's it's a, it's a more it's it's a brighter flavor uh to borrow a term from uh, Garrett Oliver right he talks about bright and dark flavors yeah so so that's you know how i how i how, how i approach it and then i also you know w when i was certainly doing the 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 aria and food pairings i also would look at you know the just the weight of the 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 text you know was it very serious text that needed to be pondered in which case you know we need to go for a, a more of a slow sipper you know is it really fast and high paced and a lot going on then you know maybe maybe that ipa is is still too heavy i need i need to go with something very light and effervescent you know um just a light lager or something so so i, I hope that gives you some insights a into the I, into I'm the thought process i'm fascinated by that event um because i i i don't i i hadn't really thought about the two worlds intersecting um what did you learn pairing beer and opera um after it was all over like what what were you left with as as far as lessons learned for me the the goal of that event was to introduce people to new things and you know what i <laughs> I guess the lesson learned is you can you can convince people to try pretty much anything if beer is involved. <laughs> was right, which I think is is fair to say. Um, and so it, you know, I am very passionate about opera. I'm very passionate about beer, and I thought it would be really cool to create this event and hopefully bring in people who loved opera and you know didn't know a lot about beer and teach them something about beer because with every pairing uh, I would go up and speak to the beer and I had a musical director who would speak to the piece um, and then also bring in beer people who would never otherwise uh, probably try opera but who you know trusted me and were curious and the I think the, the most interesting thing for me in that event was realizing even for people who love opera, I don't know if you're an opera goer, but it is extremely rare to have the opportunity to hear an opera singer like at a five, 10 foot range, right? To have them that sure. close. Yeah, you think in of the such stage a small of the Met or space. Yeah, but it's unusual. And uh, I will never forget the <laughs> never in my life. And I've conducted many, many beer tastings. Never in my life have I had to remind people to drink the beer. Because the first time that those singers opened their mouths and people had their beer in their hand, it was so powerful to them. I mean, if you hear opera that close, your chest 
vibrates, right? Yeah. And that's that's something I'm used to. I've been in many rehearsal spaces with opera singers. It's nothing to me, but uh, I didn't realize what a powerful experience it would be. And everyone just stood there, just still taking in this opera with their beer in the hand. And the whole idea was to pair the two. So I had to, after the piece, gently remind everyone that to drink. That's incredible. Is is that something that you can? I, I know the pandemic is not over, uh, but the world seems to uh, be moving on. Is is that something that you think you can do again? That you would do again? I would very much love to. We we ran four editions of it for uh, for four years as part of uh, Toronto Beer Week. It was a Toronto Beer Week event, and the issue is that it is an expensive event to run because. Uh, I believe in in paying musicians. Sure. So, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, hiring three or four opera singers and a pianist and a musical director, plus the cost of the beer and some snacks and the space, it's a it's a very expensive event to run. So, um, we you know if I if I can find sponsorship again, I, I think I most certainly will. We certainly have uh, diehard fans out there, the, the people who attended the event in the past and just kept bringing more and more people every year. So uh, I, I do hope to run it again because it, it was a wonderful event. It, it just, it sounds, it sounds incredible. Um, to the conversation of food, there are so many different schools of thoughts that are out there when it comes to what's on a plate, what's in a glass. You've developed, one, this course, um, but, but two, the, the educational background uh, over many years of doing this. I imagine there's not an easy answer to this, but where do you start when thinking about pairing beer and food? In terms of uh, the theory or in terms of if I'm actually approaching a beer and food pairing? See, th that's it. There's no easy. I, 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 <laughs> I mean, we can start theoretical and then go down to practical. Sure. Well, putting together this course was definitely a big challenge. And I think having gone through the process, it really uh, made it clear to me why there aren't more beer and food pairing courses out there. It is certainly a very difficult area to tackle. And, you know, for me, what I really wanted to do was create a course that was practical because a lot of the beer and food pairing resources out there are either lists of pairings. So, you know, this beer goes well with that food, and this beer goes well with that food, and this beer goes well with that food. And from there, I guess the idea is if you taste enough of those combinations, you'll be able to then extrapolate other pairings. Um, or, the, you know, the other approach is uh, a, a long set of rules and guidelines, you know, taste interactions, uh, you know, like calms like, uh, the three C's, whatnot. So, so many different theories out there. Um, for, for those unfamiliar, and the three C's are? Cut, complement, and contrast. So those were historically approached as three different types of pairings. So you could have a, a pairing where the beer would cut 
through the food. So something with like a high acidity or a high carbonation, for example, with a very rich food, then there would be a complement pairing with the idea being there that you would be looking for a pairing where the the food flavors would complement the beer flavors. And then a contrast pairing is uh, the idea that you can also have a good pairing where things are opposites. So something like uh, a light lager and a burger, for example, something like that, that or uh, or a light lager, let's uh, let's say with a spicy food, where you know that contrast is really what is um, creating the pairing. But though, you know that's an oversimplification, and uh, I, <laughs> I I yeah. do have a little YouTube rant about the three C's. Um, because I believe that they they are useful, but they they need to be used together and not as three separate case studies. So the challenge that I gave myself with this course, which was a, a huge challenge, and as you mentioned, you know the where do you start piece, uh, is you know how do I take all of this information and turn it into a step like how like you have a beer in front of you this is step one this is step two this is step three to get you to your food or you have your food in front of you and this is step one step two step three to get you to your beer and so consider i mean do you do a lot of beer and food pairing john i i i've dabbled and what's your approach oh i i i have no approach um, right. That's not true. Uh, I, I try to I try to find the the flavor bridges. I try to find um, I like contrast um, uh, a, a little bit, but I, I I I tend a little bit more towards complement or finding um, an ingredient in the beer that will really bring out something new in the food. Uh, so I typically okay. start with with uh, with with the beer itself, and then try to find a dish around it or an ingredient and then try to build a dish out from there. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. Um, so what happens <laughs> if you have the dish and you need to pick the beer? Uh, it, it, same thing. I try to find one thing in the the dish that yeah. is typically not the main ingredient um, mm -hmm. or not the main spice or not the main flavoring, something that sort of plays around in the background, because if, if you can do it the right way, I found that the beer will bring that up a little bit more, that ingredient that yes. had been in the background up a little bit more. And that to me is a bit more of a delight as opposed to just some of these, you know, blunt instrument pairings where it's going to be a slam dunk because, you know, a, a, a chocolate stout's going to go really well with vanilla ice cream, like that kind of like that. That's it's, yeah. it's been done. It's kind of it's it's still delicious, um, mm -hmm. but it's kind of boring, especially given how vibrant beer culture is and 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 food culture these days. So, um, I typically try to find something that is playing in the background of a dish, and find a way to help the beer elevate that, because then it, nice. it changes everything. So that's fantastic. I would hazard a guess that around that conscious decision to pick that one note, there's also a lot of sort of instinctive other decisions that you are making in terms of knowing, you know, for example, if it's uh, you you want to tie it in with like a chocolate note in a beer, the, the, the decisions that are leading you towards a Schwarz beer versus a stout versus a porter versus an imperial stout versus sure. a peanut butter marshmallow stout i mean that's pretty much um, all i'm drinking these days is the peanut butter marshmallow stouts but yeah of course 
Aren't we all? Um, yeah. Yeah. Goes really um, well with lobster. Interesting. No, it does. No, stop. I, I'm sorry. My, my, my brand of New Jersey sarcasm is not playing well in the well, have you great had, did, Canadian North. No, I've never you know, actually tried well, you know, it. I've never uh, actually tried it, but now. Yeah. But you know, um, dogfish had made a chocolate lobster beer. Yeah. Chocolate lobster. Right. Yeah. And that was the, yeah. uh, and it had, it, it, was that the one that had diacetyl on purpose or so they said, um, so it had some of those buttery notes. Ooh, play. I missed that detail. I want to say somebody did that at some point. I know Randy. Mosher, that doesn't, it doesn't sound like that beer, but, um, Somebody did that um, for a lobster beer or a beer to pair with lobster. And then I know Randy Mosher years ago had a beer that he had brewed with cherry pits that had diacetyl coming off of it. And he, he says that he did it so that it would taste like a cherry cheese Danish hmm. and it worked. The diacetyl worked in there to bring that buttery flavor to the forefront or not Listen. totally to the forefront, just, you know, three feet away yeah. from, from the, from the tip of the stage, but it was uh, enough to be noticeable. And, but he had to explain it. And, yeah, and once he did, it made sense. Otherwise it would be like, Oh, I think your beer might be off a little bit here, but when it became an attribute. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I, you know, I haven't had either of these beers that we're talking yeah. about with a purposeful diacetyl, but I will say that I think, Diacetyl has been unnecessarily completely vilified, and we've gotten somehow gotten to this. And this is not recent. Oh, make your case. This make is your a development case. of the past ten years, where even just a hint of diacetyl has everyone freaking out. And diacetyl can be just a a, a lovely, lovely piece of the puzzle. If it's obviously if it's there at a at a low level, it can't be huge. But this this unfortunate you know, reaction that has developed um, where, you know, any hint of diacetyl is considered a fault is, is it really, it does, it's not doing beer any favors. And uh, it's, 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 it's not good. There are many styles that benefit from just a little touch of diacetyl. And so good for, good for Randy for, for doing that. That's fantastic. And I do hope that he he opened a few people's minds, and I hope that people, you know, I hope there'll be a, a swing back because, um, I, I, you know, it's not necessary to freak out for just a little touch of diacetyl. I I I might need a bit more convincing on that, um, especially on certain styles. Like I don't want it in my loggers or of course. no, yeah. it has no place in loggers. No, it has, no, obviously okay. It's it's where appropriate, but right now, even in styles where it is appropriate, generally brewers won't allow for even a, a hint of diacetyl because people will freak out. Um, what and, do you uh, make? You know, yeah, yeah. No, no. I all right. I I I I don't. I don't. It 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 it. it I think if it is purposeful and it 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 can be an attribute then yes and and it um, has to be at a very low level i can't you know yeah. it should not dominate in any way but it, it can be just a lovely piece of that that puzzle in certain styles you know namely in a number of english styles um and you're of course you're uh you're uh, what are they calling czech pilsners these days uh 
premium something. What premium? Premium what? check logger. I think the BJCP has renamed oh. um, Bohemian Pilsners. Okay. I, um, I think it's called check premium pale lager. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I have I have admittedly not looked through the BJCP guidelines uh, recently, but oh. um, it sounds like this, I should. I think this is two two iterations back, my friend. Okay. Well, then I, I really <laughs> haven't looked at them in a really long time. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, so back to food pairing. Um, yeah. So 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 what I was what I was getting at earlier is that um, there's for those of us who do do beer and food pairing. You know, mo- the way most of us have gotten to our process is by reading a number of different resources and then, you know, trying a bunch of different things. And so, another big, big challenge for me in, in putting together this course, uh, again, in answer to your question, you know, where do you begin is untangling like what is the process that is going on in my head when I'm because at this stage, you know, if you give me a beer, I have to think about it for a bit, but I'll, I'll come up with a with the food for it and vice versa, but it's not a very, or it wasn't previously a very sort of structured, deliberate thought process. It was very much instinctive. And so the, the, the really cool journey for me was to really take a step back and figure out, you know, what pieces of theory are out there that I'm actually using? Is there anything else that I'm doing that's different? And how do we piece that together into an actual how-to? Is there so the how to part i think is is, is interesting right because one of the the pet peeves that i have are uh and 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 i think this is dying at this point but there but there are still people out there who are like of the school of thought of red meat goes with red wine and white wine goes with chicken and fish which is which is just such bullshit on so many levels but um it's an oversimplification exactly yes um ha- have people tried to box you in with something similar to beer? Well, I certainly, when I was studying beer, uh, beer and food pairing a a good number of years ago, um, (laughs) I was, I was taught ales with red meat and lagers with white meat and fish. Really? Yes. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Um, I, I don't know if I agree with that. That also no, completely flies in the face of the old ads for a burger and a bud. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, you know, in retrospect, I, you know, I, I know a lot more now than I did then, but in retrospect, you know, when I was being taught this about, about beer, it was already being questioned in the world of wine. So um, there was absolutely no reason. A lot of our, you know, the the three C's, for example, I'm pretty convinced were somehow at least least partially borrowed from the world of wine because wine wine pairing has been around for a lot longer than the the deliberate wine pairing has been around a lot longer than the the idea of deliberate um, beer and food pairing. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond the obvious, you know, you know, German, you know, vice beer, vice versed, and the you know, Belgians, you know, countries where it's it's been a part of uh, you know how they operate for years. Um, the idea of you know just putting together theory and figuring out how it works um, 
it, it's, it's more recent than it was in the world of wine. So we borrowed a lot from wine, but yeah, at that stage, what I was being taught was not, yeah, that's, it's, that's just lazy. That's like people yeah. who are still teaching the tongue map now. That was that was debunked before I was born. So, yeah, but on, it's yes. still out there, and it still shows up in texts, and I see it on brewery walls sometimes. And I'm I'm always, it's like the that and the Ben Franklin quote. Um, yes, <laughs> it's not actually what Ben Franklin said. Um, yeah. I don't want to give too much away about the course because I want people to go uh, to beerology.ca right? I got that right. Um, yes. to, to sign up for the course. Um, but I, I, the I course think it, is actually at beerology.thinkific.com. But if they go uh, to my website, which is beerology.ca, they can, like, they can get to it. Yes. That's what I, I, I wanted to make it as simple as possible, but yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more time, the link. Beerology.thinkific.com. Thinkific. Okay. Yes. Um, I F I C. Okay. Um, For people, though, listeners who have a fridge full of beer, have uh, an interest in in cooking or making something, um, can we do a a sort of a mini lightning round, if you'll allow, uh, for some popular beer styles that are out there these days and what might go well with those beers? Yeah, let's try it. Excuse me. All right. Hazy IPA. Hazy IPA. All right. So that's a beer that has a, you know, a very strong fruit character, hopefully. Um, And uh, not very bitter in terms of isohumulones, but very, there's a high potential for tannins there. So with tannins, you want to, be careful not to get into foods that are too uh, too too bitter or too spicy. Um, with are we talking main course here or just like anything? You're the professor. <laughs> you are our Sherpa today. Uh, take us where you will. Yeah, with a with a hazy IPA, I'd be very interested to do a pasta with an Alfredo type sauce. So uh, what I'm thinking is that there'll be a lovely contrast between, you know, the the bright notes in the beer and the creaminess of the of in the, in the sauce which will also be offset by, you know, any any tannins that might be in the beer. Hopefully, you know, a lot of hazy IPA is, you know, a, a difficult style to comment on because there is such a range in how they are brewed. But, you know, if I think about it, uh, a cream sauce on a pasta is often also very nice with some, some lemon or citrus. So I feel like the, the intensities there are pretty well matched and, and that, could be, that could be pretty tasty. Well, see, now I want to give that a try. Um, kettle sour. I'm going to need a bit more description <laughs> something uh, like a like a berliner weiss yeah or? let's yeah let's go with with a a, a non-fruited berliner weiss and a non-fruited yeah berliner i mean a traditional weiss. berliner weiss i mean these days you know it's everything has fruit puree in there so uh yeah. i feel like if i named a fruit 
that would be fairly easy. So let's just go yeah, yeah. straight up yeah. Berliner. Let's, yeah. Let's keep it simple. So that's a so so you you asked earlier, you know, where where do you start with beer and food pairing? And and the one place I always, always start is intensity. So a Berliner Weiss is a fairly low intensity beer. It does have some intensity from the acidity, hopefully, if it's uh brewed to style, but it's a very uh, it's a very light, it's very effervescent. So you know, so my mind is going towards uh a lighter food. And with that acidity, you don't want anything that is too sweet food-wise, because a sweet food will just amplify that acidity and annihilate the beer. Uh, my mind is going towards some kind of chicken quesadilla, I think would be really lovely with okay. a, little, a little bit of guac in there, uh, which I know is not traditional. So or maybe put it on the side, but uh, yeah. Or or in the Berliner. Really nice. True. Yeah. Guac in the Berliner? No, 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 no. Hold on, you got you almost got me there. <laughs> We're getting dangerously uh, close I'm, to April Fools. And yeah, I'm I'm not, I'm not saying like, yeah. no. Flavor wise, I think it would be delightful. I'm saying no because the you An know the landmark yeah. of uh of the Berliner Weiss is its effervescence. And avocado, of course, is is fatty, so that'll knock the carbonation out. Then you'll end up with a flat Berliner Weiss, and that's nobody's friend. I love how seriously you're taking me, and <laughs> it's it's so refreshing um, <laughs> for this show. All right, I have two more beer styles: uh, Rauch beer. Oh well, I mean, when I had uh, Rauch beer in in. Bamberg, one of the things I had it with, well, I don't know if you've had this. I'm trying to remember exactly the details, but it's it was a, like a stuffed onion baked in the in the oven. Oh yeah, the Bamberg you, onion. Yeah. Can you can you remind me the what's in that onion? Probably. Uh let's see, the Bamberg stuffed onion. Uh it's usually pork or sausage and then it has uh spices like oregano parsley mace yeah it's it's pretty oh. simple anyway that you know that's the first place my mind went but taking a step back because you know most people don't have a, a bamberg onion uh takeout option that's too bad <laughs> local to them um <laughs> with rauch beer there's an idea for about. a food truck by the way is just <gasps> an all bamberg oh. food truck oh yes Oh, and then it can go like the way of the poutine and they can make different kinds of Baumberg Ooh. onions with different types of stuffing. And oh, oh, I, I would like, be this idea is going to make us tens of dollars. I love it. I think it will. Yeah. Tens of Canadian dollars. Oh, well, oh, well I'm out. <laughs> um, anyway, so so the when we talk about Rauch beer, I'm assuming you're talking about the, the Mertzen style. With yeah, the, let's let's the, let's go with the that. smoked. Yeah. Um, so with the Meritzen, there's that slight underlying sweetness, which, you know, obviously they weren't messing around in Bomberg. It, it calls for for pork. Um, so, uh, you know, any kind of pork sausage, I think would be absolutely lovely. Um, you know, again, to your, your earlier point about 
you know, cheats. I would, I would not go with a smoked food with a smoked beer. Like, what yeah. is the point? That's not, you know, that's too much samey sameness. But think of any food that you would enjoy a hint of smoke on, and then have that, you know, even like a just a nice cheddar with a with a rauch beer would be nice, you know, or you know any kind of cheese that you you could imagine also having smoked. Um, oh, yeah. Oh no. Now I'm making myself hungry. I know, usually no, have that I'm, effect I'm, on other people. <laughs> no, I know. I'm 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 into it now. Um, all right, last one: a cola flavored hard seltzer. Okay, well, I am going to <laughs> not answer that question because seltzer is not a beer. All right, that's fine. Uh, I was I was I was teasing anyway. Um, it was uh, it was exhausting enough having to explain people to people that cider is not a beer, having to also now explain that seltzer. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I'm this sorry, course that, that, is on that, pairing beer with food. That not, was mean. Uh, that was mean. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I was really just sort of looking around as to what I had on my desk right now. And unfortunately, I have one of those. You have. Um, the, wow, yeah. you're revealing a lot there, John. It's, uh, what, uh, is it's that your for, beverage of choice? It's all for work purposes. It's uh, yeah. Likely uh, story. Yeah. Like, okay. We now know your, uh, your were harmed drink. during the writing of that article. Um, <laughs> but. Here, here, here's in all seriousness, though, because uh, I was sort of talking about beers that have uh, trends, uh, Rauch beer side, um, but in Berliners or you know kettle sours or if having uh, hazy IPAs, and there's a lot of barrel aged beers that are getting out there. Sometimes they're fresh, uh, fresh oak. Uh, sometimes they've had uh, spirits in them. Uh, sometimes they're you know uh, fooders that have. Uh, either are used being used fresh or have gone gone wild, uh, but wood. It's been explained to me uh, by by a lot of brewers uh, is is really a fifth ingredient in a lot of these barrel aged beers or wood aged beers. Do you think about that? Uh, have, have you thought about how wood tannins, how barrel character should be thought about? With food Absolutely. Products. Yeah. And that's uh, one of the, the bigger pieces of research that I did um, with this course, because one of the things that we consider in pairing beer with food, I'm sure you're aware, is you know, taste interactions. So the whole idea of, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if the, the food is very sweet and your beer is not very sweet, then, uh, you know, after having a bite of the food, you taste the beer, the, the sweetness is going to completely distort the flavors of the beer. So that's called a, a taste interaction um, between the tastes in the beer. So sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami, and the tastes in the food, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, umami. And it occurred to me as I was putting together the course and looking at the the bitterness piece, that bitterness in beer can be derived from a number of places, but most notably, I would say the uh, the isohumulone, so the the bittering compounds in the hops. Um, then there's tannins, and tannins can come from barrel aging for sure, but it can also come from uh, grains, of course, it can come from uh, hops, and it can come also from the use of spices. I would say those are would you say that's fair to say those are the four most common sources of tan? Yes, I think that's yes. it. Um, and then the third place uh, that bitterness can come from, of course, is bitter compounds from roasted grains. And the thing is, and you know, 
it's all very challenging because very little scientific research has gone into uh, most of these interactions with the exception of tannins because tannins are a problem in wine and <laughs> wine has been throwing a lot of money into research um yeah. but you know they're very different compounds so they're going to react differently because the way that our our body perceives bitterness is a, is a specific process that depends on the compounds at hand. So, so one of the things that I did a lot of testing and research on, and that I'm going to continue to, to hone and fine tune is, you know, the taste interactions with those three different types of bitterness. And sometimes they're the same and sometimes there's nuances. So, so yes, I have, I have put some thought into that. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, when you're pairing beer with food, you can, you have to work from a specific beer, which is why earlier when you were giving throwing these styles at me, I had to sort of zero in a little better. You know, for sure. example, that Rauch beer. You know, that could have been a, a Rauchweiss, and it could be you know, um, or whether the, what kind of kettle sour it was. You know, you have to work from a specific beer, and your first step is breaking down that beer into all of its components. So. If you're doing that, it doesn't matter if the beer is barrel aged or if it's not, or you know what what's going on, because whatever is there is what you you work with. So yeah. yes, barrel aging is definitely a piece of that. But I would say, um, you know, more so that the tannins um, that can because I've noticed even in in beers with you know just a, a slight barrel aging character, those tannins are they're quite notable. You you notice them; they're there. So, so I think that's the most important piece there with the food pairing. But of course, if you're getting some, some lovely notes, and especially if the barrel aging is in a barrel that previously housed another spirit or wine and is giving distinct flavors, and you obviously want to work with those flavors as well. I was having a conversation with Pete Slossberg not too long ago about uh, chocolate pairings with beer. Ah, yes. And <laughs> How he, long has he been doing that now? Oh, I mean... I think since pretty much since Pete's wicked uh, went the way of the dinosaur, but um, mm -hmm. so it's been, it's been quite some time, but um, he mentioned to me that one of his frustrations is when people are doing beer and chocolate tastings is that they don't let the chocolate melt first. And he's a huge advocate of taking a bite of chocolate and letting it melt on your tongue for a good few seconds, uh, if not longer uh, to, to really, um let uh the, the the chocolate release and express itself a little bit and then add the beer uh to your mouth so that you can uh taste the two together Did, when somebody is doing you know a, a dinner pairing with beer is it take a bite take a sip take a sip take a bite is it both at the same time ha, what what have you learned that works or what what do you advocate for i think uh it's more a question of advocacy than than what works and okay. i would i would hazard that this melt the chocolate in your mouth approach is uh, a way to sell that chocolate Ooh. uh you know it's a way to well just it just it's a way to have people really appreciate the flavor in the chocolate yes right um and to think about the flavors in that chocolate you know um, and so for me, and this is actually a, a, a question that's come up quite often. Someone just asked me in one of my, the participants in my course just asked me and my approach for food pairing for a meal is 
not to have any rules and to taste it in every which fashion, food first, beer first, together in the mouth, because at the end of the day, that's how people eat. And I, you know, it seems very silly to me to be presenting beer and food pairings. Uh, you know, beer and chocolate is different because it's very precise or, you know, beer and cheese. It's like a very small, uh, you know, everyone's tasting at the same time situation. But if you're doing a meal, you know, you present the pairing and then you, you let people enjoy and you certainly don't want to be telling them, okay, have a sip of beer, then have a bite of your food and then wait and then have a sip of your beer. Like no one's going to do that yeah. or vice versa. Right. So, so in, when it comes to food, food pairing and, and uh, enjoying a beer and a food together, I think it, my, I advocate for not fussing too much. This being said in my work, you know, if I'm looking for a pairing, what I will very deliberately taste the beer first and then the food and see what that interaction is. And then I'll clean my palate and taste the food first and then taste the beer and see what that interaction is. Uh, I used to also taste them together uh, in my mouth and I'll still on occasion do that just for curiosity. But what what I have come to learn with time is that if if the if the interaction works well from beer to food and it works well from food to beer, it'll also work well uh, in the mouth. So there's there's no really reason to be concerned about that. Um, which is interesting. I'm going to go on a tiny little tangent here, but please, because um, I've also been doing uh, or I, I have been. It's been a couple of years now. I did a lot of work with spirit and beer pairings and was really fascinated to learn that with spirit and beer pairings, it is very possible to taste a spirit first and then the beer and it tastes horrible and then taste the beer first and then taste the spirit and it's horrible, but then blend the two together and that's delicious huh. or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, blend them together and it's horrible, but one after the other tastes great. So, so that is really interesting to me and something that, you know, if <laughs> maybe, you know, when I retire, I'll open a lab and, uh, and research, you know, put some scientific research into everything that's going on there. Cause it's, you know, I mean, sensory, is, sensory science is so fascinating and so under-researched, but, but that whole thing really threw me for, I don't know if you've ever experienced that or tried that. Um, but that sort of uncanny disjoint does not, in my experience, happen with beer and food pairing is, is what I was getting at. Okay. Is there a pairing that you think people go to the well too often on that should be retired? Yeah. What, chocolate beer and chocolate cake. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't believe any pairing should be retired. I believe that, you know, learning to pair beer with food is a process. And if you're at the beginnings of that process, you should go with something that's tried and true, um, of course. But yeah, I, I think like samey, samey, ex any samey, samey, exact same pairing. Uh, it's, it's just things can be so much more dynamic than that. And that's also something I cover in the, the advanced techniques of my course, but certainly in the early, you know, the Maybe I should maybe I should talk you through sort of the how the content works. Okay, sure. In the course, so so the course is divided into five sections. Uh, the first one is beer and food traits. So 
obviously, if as I was mentioning earlier, if you want to pair a beer with a food or food with a beer, it's about finding traits in the food that that work well with the traits in the beer, or that won't clash. So the first step is being able to break down the, all of the traits and identify the traits in either. So the first section is is just about that. Um, and sort of establishing the framework and the vocabulary uh, to then move forward into the second section, which is pairing basics. And pairing basics is all of the rules that we've all heard about, you know, matching intensity, bridging flavors, as you talked about earlier, taste interactions that I was talking about. So all of the different guidelines that need to be followed. And then section three is pairings in practice. So Starting with a beer, what are all the steps to find your food pairing? And then starting with your food, what are all the steps to find your beer? As well as um, planning a dinner. So, for example, if you're pairing one beer with one food, there are certain considerations. But if you have two or three courses back to back, there are added considerations that you have to think about. Um, and in that section, I also have a, a, a lesson that I think will be more useful to some than to others, but I, I felt was really important to share since I have a lot of experience in this area and that's how to host a beer dinner and sort of the logistics of doing that. But um, so by, by, by section three, you have all of the information that you need to put together a good pairing. And I would hazard that by section three, you might be at the stage where you, you might want to pair a chocolate cake with a, with a, with a chocolate beer um, to, you know, see how it works and, you know, then venture out from there. Um, so that's the first three sections. And then section four gets into advanced techniques. So um, anyone who's new to food pairing, I, I suggest taking a couple of weeks to practice the basics before getting into advanced techniques. But to people who have, are well-versed in food pairing, um, section one and two will be, you know, probably like 70% review and with a few new ideas. Um, and then getting into section three will be new. And then section four is really where it gets fun. All these little advanced techniques, um, like how to use texture, how to add tension, how to think about the pairing dynamics, that sort of thing. Um, and then, so this is where we're definitely moving away from the chocolate cake and the chocolate beer and finding yeah. ways to make pairings interesting uh, and dynamic. And then section five is is just presentation. So all of the little details you have to think about to make sure that your pairing is presented in the best light, um, including you know how to describe the pairing to the customer because this course was originally, you know, really conceived with people who work in beer in mind, you know, uh, to help them out. But uh, I found a, a large number of people from all kinds of walks of life were taking it, so that's pretty cool. I love it. And that's five. Yes. Yes, that's five. Uh, and I'll remind everybody that it is beerology.thinkific.com uh, to, to go check out, or they can just go to your website at beerology.ca and can also get this information. Um, sign up for the course. It's great. Um, can I ask you one last question? Sure. Uh, with the premise being uh, last summer, my wife and I uh, rewatched The Good Place, uh, which is, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but. Yeah, I, did. I think uh, I watched season one and two. Okay. Or maybe one and a half. Okay. So yes, well, I'm familiar it, with it. it. It gets better. And towards the end, uh, there is a concept of a green door and you can walk through a green door and be any place at any point in history with whoever you want to be with. And so if such a door existed on this plane of existence and you could finish this conversation and walk through a green door, 
where would you want to be? Like what pub or brewery or restaurant uh, would you like to be at? What would you like in your glass? And who would you like to be with? I'm going to stick to a beer theme here because <laughs> right. I have many ideas. But I would say, you know, something that's on my, my, it's been on my bucket list since I wrote my book and I found out about it. Um, and so, so where I would want to be is on uh, the north, I believe it's the north coast of the Flanders region on the ocean, where apparently they, they drink Flanders red ale with brown shrimp, which is a native shrimp in that area. Yeah. And I am. Have you tried that combination? I, I have not. I've 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 okay. heard people speak about it in auspicious tones. It just it just sounds super exciting to me. And you know, the person that you know, I'm very sad that I never got to meet that I would love to have with me, and he's certainly on our minds these days. Is Michael Jackson? I uh, I I think I started in beer a few months before he he passed and uh so so yeah i feel like that would just be a lovely a lovely place to be and a lovely experience to have and to to share with him i love that that's uh that's very very nice to hear and i will once again remind people to go to beerology.thinkific.com to sign up for your course uh, there's there's even a badge available that people can get now yes which is, it's, a, it's an accreditation which is wonderful yeah very excited uh, congratulations on this and i hope you're you're going to be successful and educate a lot of folks and change a lot of minds and make a lot of hearts and stomachs fall. So thank you for doing this hard and necessary work for the betterment of beer. I, I appreciate it and appreciate you being on the show this week. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, as for the course, I'm, I'm just delighted to put it out there, excited to see how well it's being received. I have tons of testimonials on the site, which is, which is lovely and uh, hope to get more and more people enrolled because uh I really believe that pairing beer with food is is the next step for us. We've gotten to a stage now where craft beer and flavorful beer is everywhere. So we've you know we've won that fight. Uh, it is no longer relegated to you know our uh, the beer geek establishments. Um, mm -hmm. And so the next step is really to to use those beers to the to their maximum potential and to create these wonderful experiences through food pairing. What's the beer and food pairing that you adore or that changed your perception of what beer and food can be together? Let me know. You can email me. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com, or you can get with me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder to check out beeredge.com for our This Week in Rauk Beer and Defend Pilsner merch, and you can follow along on social media at The Beer Edge. Of course, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search, and on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TWRaukBeer. We're able to bring you this show each week thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to sponsor at beeredge.com.
And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by the World Beer Awards. I'm honored to serve as a co-chair of judges for the U.S. portion this year, and we're bringing experienced, fair-minded, and engaged judges to Washington, D.C. later on this summer to blind taste beers and to hand out medals. The World Beer Awards ensures that each beer is judged both rigorously and fairly to give its best chance in the competition. If you're a professional brewer, learn more about the competition and categories and sign up to enter at worldbeerawards.com. Early bird discount rates are available through April 1st, 2022. And again, check out worldbeerawards.com to learn more and to sign up. A reminder to check out the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Steal the Spear has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.